I read these words this week and was sobered by them. And this is what the writer of Proverbs says. In Proverbs 5.14, he says, I was almost, listen to these words, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Look at those words again. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Think of this for just a moment. Utter ruin is what the writer of Proverbs said. But where was sobering to me? He says, right in church, amongst the people of God, he said, I was finding myself in a place that in a house of hope, in a place of hope, I was finding something going wrong with my soul. I was finding something that was ran amiss. And there are people not only here in person, but there are people that are watching online that maybe you would even say, those words describe me perfectly right in the midst of the congregation that I feel like my life could be even be at an edge. And I, and I want to encourage you today. I want to believe for God that there is an encouraging word, but not only just encouragement, but I want, to, I want you to get this today. I believe that there's an equipping for you today. I want to encourage and equip you today. I was reading the story of one of the great European painters that when he was a young boy, he said this moment, really decided for him of, of where, what he would be. He said he was painting and drawing a picture of his sister. He got out a bottle of ink. And he said, and the only thing I succeeded in was making a mess. He says that when his mother got home, she said, what a beautiful picture and kissed him. And he said, later in life, listen to this. He said, that kiss made me a painter. That kiss in the middle of my mess isn't it interesting is encouragement is needed after the mess, not after you're doing well. And that's why I believe that encouragement, even here today, encouragement is the kiss of the believer. Encouragement is the kiss of God even after we make a mess. Someone said that the word encouragement means to actually put courage in somebody and even to go on. I was leaving my apartment today on my way to church. And while I was leaving there, um, every Sunday I leave, there is one, there's a worker there that I know where he's going to be. He doesn't even say a word. He just goes like this and I hold his hand and I pray for him every single Sunday before I go. So I was walking out. He just went like this, grabbed his hand and just felt, I just said, God put courage in him today. God, give him the wisdom that he needs today. And who knows, who knows what that grasp of hand could just do for somebody that just needs this courage inside of them for what they're called to do. I learned something this week that I want to share with you. I learned it from the life of David. It was really for, for, to help me. Really, it's for breathing and living and walking and hoping. When, when you feel at times the world is against you, because what do you do when you feel that the whole world is against you? What do you do when everything around you seems that, that becomes unstable? Whether you're fighting for your life in Ukraine because you've lost your freedom, your home, your family, your country, your livelihood. Maybe you're fighting in prayer for a child. Maybe you're fighting for a marriage or even fighting against the disease, even as you sit here today. But what do you do when you feel your whole world is against you? And there's no more breathing room. I love what 
Dr. Martin Luther King said, listen to these words. He says, if you can't fly, then run. And if you can't run, then walk. And if you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving forwards. That's what I want to believe for today. I want to believe. Hey, listen, we have some people ran to church today. Some people flew in this place today. Pastor Patrick flew into church today. When I saw him lead us today, I met some of you today. You ran in the house of God. And then there's some walkers. Anybody with me that you're a crawler with me? You go, I'm here, but I made it. But I made it. But we're moving. Hallelujah. We're moving forward today by God's grace. And I want to just give to you something I've learned today in the midst of my crawling, the midst of crawling through this, this week, that, I, that there's two things that I need. And these are kind of the kisses of that, that painter. Jot these down. And these are the two things I want to talk to you. I need the body of Christ. And I need the presence of God. Let me just say that again. Because this is where I think encouragement is. That's, this is the kiss of encouragement. I need the body of Christ. And I need the presence of God. We felt the presence of God today. And there are two verses on David's journey. As I was reading the life of David where David found encouragement while things were collapsing around him. In two different spots, an encouragement came. The kiss came from two different spots that one of them, one of them I, I, I expected, but the other one I didn't expect. And this is where I want to kind of walk with you on today. And, and listen, we know whether you're flying, whether you're running, whether you're walking, or whether you're call, or, or crawling today. Let me just say this. God never said the journey would be easy but he did say it would be worth it. So let me help you today for just a few moments. Number one, when you find the body of Christ, I'm telling you, you will find encouragement. You will find encouragement. When Gary Wilkerson, the, the son of the founder of Times Square Church, David Wilkerson and I, were, we were in Amsterdam some years ago doing a conference for pastors. We met an amazing pastor and his wife named Jan and his wife, Alla, who just emailed me a few days ago to tell me this burden that they have um, for these refugees that are coming out. They, they've been ministering to the Syrian refugees when everything was happening in Syria some years ago and saw the power of God move as they started to encourage these displaced people. And God seemed to be preparing Jan and Alla and his, and, his, and, his, and his ministry leaders for something that was going to take place. I want to read to you this, this email he just sent to me two days ago, because when you find, when you find the body of Christ, the church, you will find encouragement. Listen to this. Listen to what he wrote. He said, Pastor Tim, I just want to share a testimony. My brother, Stefan, who I met, um, is the team challenge director of Holland. Now, for those that may be new to the faith, David Wilkerson, who not only started this church, was the one that started um, team challenge worldwide back in the 1950s, he said, my brother Stefan, Teen Challenge of Holland, called me and said that the leaders of Teen Challenge Ukraine in Maripol are in big trouble. They're in, they're in, in a, life, uh, a life and death situation. So, so the, what happened is this. So, so listen just for a moment. So Stefan, leader of Teen Challenge, called called Jan in Amsterdam and said, the leaders in Teen Challenge Ukraine in Maripol are in a life and death situation. We help them with funds to come to the border and enter Hungary. 
Stefan said he got on the phone and called Miro, a pastor in Budapest, to go. And Stefan called Miro, and Miro picked up the Ukrainian Teen Challenge students and leaders at the border of Hungary and brought them to his house. After a good night and a night meal and a night's sleep, Miro then put him on a plane to Lisbon, Portugal, where Zhao in Lisbon picked them up and housed them and began to encourage. Did you just see what just happened there? Can I, can I just help you for a second? Because this, I don't know of any organization in the world that can do that with one phone call, except the body of Christ. Here's what's amazing. So think about this. Holland, Holland Teen Challenge goes to help Ukraine Teen Challenge. Then they call a pastor in Budapest who gets them from Budapest to Lisbon because the body of Christ will always be present and available and be there. That's why I'm telling you that's the body of Christ. Oh my goodness. From, from Holland to Ukraine, Ukraine to Budapest, Budapest, Budapest to Portugal. Thank God for his church worldwide. That's why I'm telling you, I, I believe this with all my heart. Get ready now. When Satan wants to mess with you, he sends the wrong people in your life. Stay with me. But when God wants to bless you, he sends the right people into your life. Let me say that again. When Satan wants to mess with you, he sends the wrong people. When God wants to bless you, he sends the right people into your life. See, that's why we need each other. Your gift in your life can be the very thing we need to, to, to crawl since even walking may be hard for us. That's the encouragement. That some of you are sitting here today, hands raised, but crawling through the week. But like the Ukrainian Teen Challenge brothers, David is running, probably crawling for his life and it's exhausted him spiritually and emotionally. He was anointed in 1 Samuel 16 by Samuel the prophet. He kills a giant named Goliath in 17. Songs are written about him in chapter 18. But then you know what it's like to work for a tough boss. His boss becomes jealous and throws a spear at him in chapter 19. Now David's world is falling apart. He has no peace at home. His brothers don't even, don't, don't, don't even, you see the relationship with his brothers is strained. His job is strained. And ever since he said yes to this new anointing and this new assignment, he's running for his life. And he is no longer in a palace where his office was. Now he's in the middle of a field running for his life, just trying to stay alive. He is, he, it, it seems that when everything starts off in 16 and 17 of Samuel, he's flying. And then just a couple of mishaps. Um, here's rumors after a song is written about him that Saul has slain his thousands, David is tens of thousands, and probably has gone from running to just walking. And now when a spear comes and a wall at his office, now David is crawling, crawling just to stay alive. And see, for David, the body of Christ, for David, the body of Christ, in a sense, shows up by way of an individual, shows up not in a palace for him, this is what I love, but shows up in the middle of a field for him, right in the middle of a field, almost like these Ukraine brothers that, that, that realize that in order to be the church, we don't have to even be in a building, that the body of Christ can meet you at the border of a country. And it's still, can I just tell you, and you're still having church even at the border of a country. 
And for David, the body of Christ was a brother, was really more than a brother. It was a, it was a soulmate. It was, it was Jonathan that met him. Jonathan meets him in the field. And here's what the Bible says. Listen to 1 Samuel 23, 15. It says, now David, here comes the first, that, that kiss of encouragement that comes. Now, David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life. Let me just tell you what seek his life means. It means he hired 3,000 people to kill him. The Bible tells us. Think about that. Three, you, you know you've got anger problems. when three, You're paying 3,000 salaries and 3,000 health insurances? This is, a bad, this is a bad moment. Comes out to seek his life while David is in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, here comes the church, Saul's son, which is even crazier, arose and went to David at Horsh. And here, these are the words, and encouraged him in God. Encouraged him in God. Jonathan encouraged him in God. And here is what happens. Here are the words. It was almost as if David, like the person in, at, at, at our apartment, David was just holding up his hand, waiting for somebody to grasp it and put courage. And here's David in the middle of a, of, a, of, a, of a wilderness. And I can just see David holding up his hand, saying, will someone grasp it and put courage inside of me? Jonathan grasps it, and here is his words. Listen to this. He said to him, don't be afraid, because the hand of Saul, even my father, will not find you. He says, you will... In this." Now, this next phrase is important because according, according to the custom, it's the son that's supposed to become the king. And look at, there is a spirit. I'm telling you, God is on Jonathan and, and he knows that this is the next king. He's realizing the guy I'm grasping hands with, the guy I'm putting courage in, is the guy who in a sense is taking my spot. But it's okay if God's in it. This is not me holding on to something, holding on to my seat. I've sat here at Times Square Church in this seat, and I'll be here till Jesus comes back. We won't even go there. Okay. And because the hand of my soul, he said, and you will be king over Israel. And this is what he said. Now, here's the part that gets me, and I will be next to you. He said, I like that. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. I, I felt that way. I, I felt like this week as I was battling some physical hurdles, I felt like I just had my hand up just going, just someone grasp it. Just someone be there for me. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for Pastor Carter. I'm so thankful for Elder Chooks. Just calls came out of nowhere and I just didn't even expect it. And it was as if my hand was up. I did, and Pastor Carter, God's on you. God's going to help you. God's going to do this. Gonna, 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 gonna. And Elder Chooks with that, that huge Nigerian accent. God did not send you here. I'm going... If you could say it in Nigerian, then it's the Lord. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That's what I've, that's what I've learned. But it was as if Elder Chooks and Pastor Carter just grabbed my hands and, 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 and put courage in me. My hand was up because it was a crawling week for me. And then all of a sudden, I felt the grasp of the body of Christ. I felt the hand of God. And folks, I'm telling you, you can feel that 
whether you're sitting in person or whether you're watching online. God is not limited by simply in person. He can touch you wherever you're watching from. But it's the last line of that verse that I want to just pause for a second with, just for a moment. And it says this, that Jonathan went to his house, but David stayed in that wilderness. Let me say that again. Jonathan went to his home where Saul was, his dad was, while David stayed where he was. Jonathan went back to the people, and I want you to listen carefully. Jonathan went back to the people. When it says that Jonathan went to his house, he was going back to the people that would shortly be part of his demise, that would, that would be part of him not fulfilling, I'll be next to you. David was going to be on the run while, while Jonathan goes back to a palace, David goes back on the run. But let me just tell you something. But the hand of God is upon him. The hand of God is on him. Even though difficult, God's hand is on him. And I have this sense that God was giving Jonathan an exit ramp from a toxic relationship. See, that is, here, get this now. That verse that you read there, and he encouraged him in God. This, okay, just for a moment, pause. Stop texting. Stop doing whatever you're doing. If you're watching online, stop making eggs. Okay, listen. I want you to get this. I know what you're doing. We, we were out for 18 months. I know what's happening. This, this is what you read there. Jonathan encouraged him in God. Next verse, next part says this. David stayed in the wilderness and Jonathan went to his house. You see that. Okay, that verse is the last verse you ever read about Jonathan. That's it. It was almost as God was going, I'm giving you a chance. Don't go back to something that's gonna hurt you. Don't go back to something that is gonna begin to even shorten your life and shorten the providential hand of God to stand next to me in this. And here is, the, the, Jonathan gets one more verse, eight chapters later, and this is what it says. The Philistines overtook Saul and the Philistines killed Jonathan. That's it. You go from, I'm encouraging you, and then all of a sudden, it was as if God was going, I'm giving you an exit ramp. Go with the guy on the run. Go with this. It, it may not be the life you're used to. It's not palace, but you're going to be on the run. You may be on the run. Listen, but God is going to be with you. God will walk with you. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean that it's not God. His life was connected to the right man, but in the end, he chooses the wrong man. And shortens his life. He misses a moment. Jonathan could tell David what to do, but he couldn't get it right for his own life. He can counsel David, but he couldn't get it right for him. That's why sometimes I want to just challenge you. Sometimes the best way to discover that encouragement, that Jonathan, to get courage poured into you, that's why we, we, we tell you, even with the limitations that we have and all of it, and they're talking about another wave of COVID coming in and all this stuff. That's why we, are, we stay mobile with connect groups online. That's why we always encourage you to do that. But that was Jonathan's crossroad. 
I really believe that. I believe it's a chance that either you go, you go on with the unfamiliar or you go back to, to, in a sense, to what you are comfortable with. Let me say that again. It's a crossroads. Say, do you go forward in the unfamiliar or do you go ahead and say, I'm going to hold on to what I'm comfortable with? And his father takes him into a battle with Philistines that would eventually kill him. Not only just kill him, but watch, but, but his own father commits suicide in that very same chapter. It was as if God was giving a moment to him to exit a toxic relationships to enter into the prom, promise and providence of God. And Jonathan is emotionally connected to David and sees the hand of God on him, but cannot pull the trigger to get out of the wrong group. Can't seem to pull the trigger. And then the next time you hear from him, he's dead. This is, this is so important because I truly believe that when Satan wants to mess with you, he sends people into your life. And when God wants to bless you, he sends people into your life. I saw this very thing happen because I believe this is a word for someone right now. I saw this very same thing happen the right way. That when you come to that crossroad, David goes back, stays right where he's at, and Jonathan goes back to what's comfortable with him. I saw it take place 27 years ago that just, I was reminded of it just a couple of days ago. I forgot all about this. And the Ukraine crisis has brought it up. It happened on Thursday night that where young leaders had to leave what they only knew in order to do something that they were totally unfamiliar with. Let me tell you the story. 27 years ago, I had the opportunity to, leave, to lead. It was my first, but it had to be one of the most, one of the most uh, um, significant missions trips in my life. It was in the early 90s. I led a missions trip into the country of Romania. Chernobyl just happened maybe over five years earlier. The fall of communism in Ceausescu just happened a few years earlier than that. And Romania was literally just, just ripe for God to do something there. It was ripe for God to pour out. So 30 of us showed up in Budapest and ministered first to the thousands of children in the subways that are living in the subways of Budapest. And then got on a train, I think it was almost two hours, to a city right on the border of Russia called Akhnamoris. I, I, I haven't thought of this Times Square Church for decades until this Thursday night. Let me tell you what happened in Akhnamoris because it really goes right along with what's happening right now with refugees in Ukraine. In Akhnamoris, we had this thought. We said, let's go to this city and let's rent out the, the cinema, they call it La Cinema, and for three nights, let's do something powerful. We got in and we, this 900 seat cinema, right in the heart of this place, we rented it out for three nights. First night, you must be born again. Would it, would it be anything else? You must be born again. 27 years ago, when we asked who wants to be born again, I am telling you before God, Every hand went up, and I made them put their hands down. I said, maybe you didn't understand, and I looked at my translator. Say it again, because there's too many hands up. Every hand went up in the place to be born again. Every hand. I said, okay, if that's the case, come back tomorrow night, 
because we're going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon every hand that went up. I, so, so the next night, how many want to be baptized? With the Holy? Every hand is right back up. And that night, and then finally, I don't know what I was thinking. It was just, just young faith. I said, and if you want to be healed, come back a third night. We're praying that God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is able to. And folks, the lines were out the door because that town experienced from the Chernobyl accident, from the Chernobyl explosion, everyone that had a heart disease in that town died instantly because of the nuclear reaction, because of, the, of what was the, the radiation that took place. And we started to pray for people. We saw not only the, the residents get saved, but really these outliers that were rejected by the religious people. There was a whole town of religious outliers called the gypsies that the church wouldn't accept. They were people without a country and people that, that were hungry. And we saw all these people coming to Christ, but they had no church to go to because they were rejected. And I looked at some of the young leaders and this was the crossroad. I said, you need to start a church or you can go back to what you're comfortable with, or you can start something with the unfamiliar. You need to start something. And I'm telling you folks, I just was reminded of it Thursday. 27 years ago, they started a church called the Good Samaritan Church. You're going to see pictures coming up in the, in the upcoming weeks and months because that church that is ministering and saw revival take place among the, among the gypsies is also the church that's ministering to the refugees that are coming in from Romania and from the borders that are coming in. Here's what's amazing. If they choose, like Jonathan, to go back into the old religious way, which rejects the gypsies, they're not even used during this. Who knew that 27 years ago that the challenge for them was to give them chapters, not simply a Jonathan thing to say, go back to the palace. Folks, and I'm telling you, it's so easy to walk back into something you're so comfortable with, and then all of a sudden, it becomes irrelevant for you. But these people took a step, and all of a sudden, 27 years later, I'm telling you, I, they come, they start a church from a movie theater, and now they are part of ministering to those three million refugees with the gospel, with food. And here's what's crazy. And I find out Thursday, Times Square Church has been supporting them for the last 27 years with child cry. You've been, start, you've been supporting. I'm going, we support them. This is a miracle. Because young people took a crossroad that said, I'm not familiar with pastoring and starting a church, but this could be God. But Jonathan didn't take that crossroad. Jonathan went back to what he knew, and when Jonathan chooses the wrong fork in the road, David, it seems, loses his source of encouragement. Remember, I'm going to equip you, because even if he chooses the wrong way, God still has another way. Number two, let's close with this. Find God, and you're going to find out how to encourage yourself when you find God. See, David, here's what's amazing. When Jonathan is dead and gone, his encouragement is not gone, but it's going to come a brand new way. David is a city called Ziklag. Now, Ziklag is the place for David where David's entire world turns against him. 
when his, in the first part of his journey, and it seems everything is against him, God sends a Jonathan. Here's David. Hand is up. He's crawling on this journey, and Jonathan grasps it. What do you do when Jonathan's gone? This is Ziklag. This is God, I think, equipping us, saying, I want to give it to you two ways. To know that if somebody chooses wrong, it doesn't mean that you lose encouragement, but I'm going to bring someone your way. See, Ziklag is the place where David's entire world turns against him. It's in Ziklag he is surrounded by people that hate him. That's the Philistines. He's running from the people that hate him. That's Israel. And when I tell you the story, he's living with people that hate him. That's the, that's the families that are on this journey with him, and they turn against him. Let me just say that again. Everyone is against him. The Philistines don't want him. Israel doesn't want him. And now the people that he thought was on the journey with them don't even want him. See, David is in Ziklag, this place, because he thought the Philistines would like him, since nobody else would like him, if he fought against Israel, his own people. And while David is in meetings with the Philistines, another group, the Amalekites, come in and take all the women and children away. They're all gone. So when David and the men come back, all their families are gone. They're taken as POWs. And all that is left are empty homes and angry fathers. All that's left are, are, are empty homes and angry fathers. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30. So David and his men came to the city and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices to weep until they had no more power to weep. So the final group turns against them. Think about this. Saul wants to kill him. The Philistines want nothing to do with him. And now his own men want to stone him. Talk about your world turning against you. You have nowhere to go. Nothing is working for you. So what does David do when his whole world is against him? Here it comes, folks. Verse 6. David was greatly distressed for the people, the angry men and fathers, spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his son and for his daughters. But here it comes. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. You can take Jonathan. You can take all my men away. You can take everything. But there's still another source to find encouragement. Because there are moments. Now, you have to stay with me. David encouraged himself in the Lord when there's no Jonathan in sight, when your own family is against you. There's going to be times, I want you to get this time, Scripture. Those that are listening online, there's going to be times that there is no Jonathans and the people that you thought you could rely on have chosen wrongly. And I'm going to tell you this, and the only place you can find is in the presence of God and to encourage yourself in the presence of God because nobody else is there. When nobody else is there to bless you and encourage you, God goes, I'm going to teach you how to encourage yourself in the Lord. I have to tell you this. When my son, who is now in college, was five years old, his room was cracked open. His door of his room was cracked open, and he was playing with Legos. And I'll never forget, I was walking by his room, and I heard the largest sneeze. I just heard, ah, chew. And I watched it. He looked around. Nobody was there. He goes, God bless me. I'm telling you, once in a while... There's nobody around to say, God bless you. So you've got to find out how to encourage yourself in the Lord. 
The older people in the church that I grew up with and that grew up in the church used to talk about encouraging yourself in the Lord. They were saying, when no one is available, you got to find God for yourself. I I, want to say this, and I'm so thankful for Pastor Patrick and the counseling ministry that's going on, but I have to say this today because we, we are finding today, and I believe that there is the counseling ministry is important because it brings truth to bear on things. But, it, but I don't want us to miss this second point. And let me, let me explain it like this, because I think it's so easy to get an over-dependency on counseling and meeting with people. When I grew up in the church, can I just tell you, not only was counseling non-existent, there was no such thing. But can I tell you what the counseling office was? I'm just going to tell you, get to the altar. That's the way I grew up. You came in with the problem. Let me just tell you, you came in with anger, get to the altar. You came in with a marital problem, both of you, get to that. And don't leave until you find God at that. You come in with addiction, get, and people didn't even know what that meant. (laughs) Get to the altar. But somehow they found God. Somehow they found God because there comes moments. I believe that God will use counseling, but folks, you better not have a dependency on counseling because sometimes that's not going to be there. You got to find God for yourself and you got to encourage yourself and find God to do that. I'm telling you folks today, today it's get an appointment. When I grew up, it was get to the altar. And the issue is this. I believe the truth is somewhere in between. We have lost the altar and people on how they can encourage themselves. And that's why quarantine, listen, the quarantine for 18 months in New York City played a havoc on people because when you took away Jonathan from them, they didn't know how to find God. And that's why if quarantine messed you up, you were dependent on Jonathan. You got to find God for yourself. You can make an altar in your apartment. If you're watching from the Ukraine, you can make an altar in the subways right there in Kiev. You can just say, listen, God took away the, my, my, the, the, this invasion, took away my church. It took away the body of Christ, but it didn't take away God because it can take away the people. But right there, you can find God and encourage yourself in the Lord wherever you're at today. That's what makes this amazing. David learned the value of both. Jonathan encouraged him, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. Jonathan encouraged him in the Lord, and he encouraged himself. And we have to know how to do this. We have to teach ourselves how to do this when all of a sudden we find out that if a quarantine comes again, what if another wave comes? What if something shuts things down again? We're going, if all of a sudden everything is shut down, we can go, I've lost my source of encouragement. Jonathan is gone. Then I'm telling you, then find an altar and encourage yourself. That's what it is. They both work together. They both have value. We are saying, find a connect group, find and find counseling. However, you better find God also because all of those work together. Let me close with this. How does this look? What does this look like? Let me take it from a New Testament moment. Let me take it from the Apostle Paul and close today. The Apostle Paul is about to face the harshest personal trial of his entire life. And as he's holding up his hand, would someone touch it like that worker in that hotel? No one is there. But God is going to have to grab hold of it. God is going to have to grab hold of it. He's going to need to know that because 
Because the end of, of Paul is going to be in a prison cell with nobody there. So he's going to have to find God because one by one, he's watching the church and the believers be removed away as he, in a sense, is being quarantined in a prison cell. Paul needed God to get a hold of him. And before he enters Jerusalem and goes through a bogus trial and gets on a ship to Rome and there's going to be a shipwreck, snake bites, a prison cell, there's going to be a storm at sea and eventually it would become the beheading of the apostle Paul. God gives Paul a word before his final journey. He needs it from God. He needs a throne. He needs to see what the throne of God is going to begin to speak to him. And in 2 Corinthians, let me close with this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, what happens, just like it does for David, this it's a chapter, we've heard it preached before, it's a chapter on a thing called the thorn in the flesh. It's this, it's just, it's this thing that keeps coming. We, nobody knows exactly what it is, but it's debilitating. Paul wants it out of his life. It's handicapping him. And so he's faced with something here. But I have to tell you, as he's faced with this, he prays, God, get rid of it. God, get rid of it. God, get rid of it. And it was as if God goes, and I'm going to show you this in this chapter, it was as if God goes, there is no person that you're going to be able to look to. Your Jonathans are going to be gone. You're going to have to find me in this. In the midst of this, in the midst of all that you're going through, in the midst of Ziklag, in the midst of everything turning against you, you're going to have to find me in this moment. This is where you're going to have to realize. And God, Paul doesn't need counseling at this, point, at this moment. He needs a word from God at this moment. He needs to hear from God for himself. He needs to encourage himself in the Lord. I was talking to a lady that was facing some really deep emotional issues as we were in Starbucks. And somehow she just started talking to me. I don't know if she saw my Bible open a few years ago. And she said, in, in the thing that is that that happened. She said she had no, she didn't know where to go. And so she said she went to some meditation class and for, here it comes, and for $700, they gave her a mantra to help her when she gets depressed. I couldn't let it go. I said, what's the mantra? He said, for $700, she goes, the man looked at my ring and said, that's your mantra. Every time you get depressed, say her ring, her ring, her ring, her ring. I said, what? $700, her ring. I said, I won't charge you anything, but I'm going to tell you how to get rid of depression. <laughs> I said, it's finding God in the midst of all that malaise of depression. And in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is having this debilitating moment, this thorn in the flesh. For those of us that still carry a physical Bible, in my Bible, when you get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every time Jesus speaks, they put it in red. How many of you have a Bible like that? That they put it in red. That you know when Jesus is speaking. And it seems that when Acts 1 is done, that the red letters are done. But can I tell you? Freddie led us in the song about the resurrection. If he's risen from the dead, can I just help you today? Because he has risen from the dead, he still speaks today. 
So his red letters aren't relegated to four books of the New Testament. Red letters in the New Testament is when Jesus is talking and they're in the gospels. But once in a while, God sends a surprise right in the middle of Ziklag. God shows up. Paul facing his harshest moment. God shows up. You ready for this, folks? You're going to see some red letters in an unexpected place. When God shows up, he gives those unexpected times. As I'm reading through Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I'm going through it, going through it, going through it. And then right there in 2 Corinthians 12, red letters show up right in the middle of Ziklag. Right in the middle. I'm also going like, what? This is God. Right in the middle. I don't need a mantra. I need a word from heaven. I just need God to show up with some red letters and God to speak. And the apostle Paul is sitting there because this is one of the rare moments after the gospels when red letters show up during one of Paul's toughest moments in life. His whole world is turned against him. His Roman citizenship means nothing because the Romans are about to put him to death. His Jewish roots mean nothing because he is an enemy to his old religious world. And he is away from his friends. He's being pulled away from the church. And it seems, it almost seems like God won't even answer his prayer. And he prayed the same prayer three times. Listen to it. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. He said, God gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This is where it just comes with an intensity to keep me from exalting myself. But I implored, begged God three times that he would take it away from me. And all of a sudden, the red letters. Here it comes, folks. And he, Jesus, folks, don't miss this. Jesus said to me, come on, folks, say it out loud with me. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected. Woo, Jesus, red letters showing up right when I can't get a prayer answer, right when Satan is coming against me, Right when I feel the weakest, a red letter shows up. Almost like right from heaven. In the middle of all these letters here, here comes the red letters that God goes, I can teach you how to encourage yourself in the Lord. That life's, and it's almost one of the most touching pieces of, 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 of Paul's biography. That this word comes from the ascended Jesus sitting on the throne at the right hand of God given to a pain-wracked, baffled, questioning apostle who can't seem to get an answer. And these words literally turns him around when it says these words, and he said to me, and he said to me. You know how important that is? He's begging, get rid of this thorn. And here's what's amazing. Now the change. Because the power of God dwells in him, Paul says this. I not only can face the thorn with this word, he says, I can face weaknesses, insults, persecutions, difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He says that. You ready for this? He goes, I got to get rid of this thorn. God goes, no, no, no. You need to get rid of a thorn. You need to hear from me. Because when you hear from me, look what he says. He says this. He says, when you hear from me on this, therefore, he says in verse 10, I'm well content with weakness. Well, content. 
with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Look at that. He's begging, he's begging for a thorn to be done. And once he gets a word from God, because the power of Christ dwells in him, he says, I can face anything. What an amazing change. He says, I got a thorn in the flesh and a God won't answer my prayer. And then when God speaks, the thorn and add five more things to the list. One word from Jesus says, not only can I handle a thorn, but I can handle five other things that come my way. Just to get one word, because he encourages himself in God at that moment and realizes just one word changes everything for me. One word. Because that's what God is asking from us. God is calling us, calling us, calling you, those that are watching online. He's calling us. Because in that, his presence, in the presence of God is when that happens. See, when you get God, you can face a world even when everything seems to turn against you. And that's why, listen, I don't want you to simply find a church. I want you to find God today. See, being in church is not enough. Being in Christ is more than enough. That's the thing. You could be in church. Can I just tell you? You could be sitting next to Jonathan's all around you, and they could be gone in a moment. But when you're in Christ, red letters can show up at the craziest moments. I've got four children, and I'm thankful for a store called Costco. Thank God for Costco. Because those kids eat. Do you know what's crazy when you go to Costco? Here's what's crazy. When you go to Costco and you go to the water machine, do you know how much it costs? Ready for this? 25 cents. The water, the Kirkland water machine at Costco, 25 cents. That's like when you grow up buying 25 cents. Isn't it amazing that if you were to go to a restaurant and get a bottle of water, they're going to charge you three bucks for a bottle of water. Go to Disney World. Go to Six Flags. Go to Yankee Stadium. Know how much they charge you for that 25 cents bottle of water? Five bucks. Here's what's crazy. 25 cents. And it's the same thing, folks. It's water. I know they say it's like from this special spring, but I just know somebody has a, has a faucet just going like, I call my faucet the spring, and I just bring it up. But here's what's amazing. When I kept thinking about that, they're all the same, but their values change based on where they're located. So if you're at Costco, 25 cents. If you're in a restaurant, $3. And if you're at Yankee Stadium, it's $5. It's the same thing. It just depends where they're located. See, you may feel special if someone invites you to some gala or to some prom and going, I'm all dressed up. I feel special here. But all of a sudden, if you find yourself in a soup kitchen, you may think to yourself, I'm not special at all. You can find yourself going to an Ivy League school and just go like, I'm really special because I, I have this. And then if you go to a community college, you're going like, man, my value just went down. When I'm with people that love me, man, I feel good 
But when I'm at an office party and I don't even know any of these people, man, I feel so insecure because we have said, like that bottle of water, your, your real value is only found in where you think you're at. But I could tell you, if you want to find where your real value is, there's one place to go. There's one place to be. And it's not even in church. It's in Christ. Because when you're in Christ, you realize this. You know how valuable you are? That God would send his own son to come down and die for you. You are worth the life of the son of God. You want to know if you're valuable? I don't care whether you live in the projects or whether you live in a penthouse. If you belong to God, you realize, I am loved by God today. And today, today, I've got to get you not in church. I've got to get you in Christ. That's the relationship. What is that relationship called, Pastor Tim? It's called being born again. Don't let places determine your value. Let Christ determine your value. Let Jesus determine your value. How does that relationship happen? Jesus calls that relationship being born again. It's, it's, not, it's not you in here. It's God in you. And Jesus was saying, it's Jesus' words, John 3. He says, just as you had a first birth, this is what he says. Let me just give it to you. John 3, 3. Because he's speaking to a religious person that understands church understands the congregation, but doesn't understand. He understands what it is to be in church or in the temple or in the synagogue or in the mosque, but he sure doesn't understand what it means to be in Christ. And Jesus looks at the religious man and says, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. That's what he said. He said, just as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. First birth, you were born physically. Here, but it's the second birth. It's not you coming out, but God coming to you. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? How can I be born again? Folks, let me make it as simple as I can. Just like we would tell a child about their ABCs. Let me tell you about the ABCs today. A, it's admitting that we're sinners. It's admitting that all of us, starting even with me, have a condition called sin. The diagnosis on all of us the moment we are born is that we are sinful. It's not my assessment. It's not a government assessment. It is God's assessment. The Bible says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a promise you can make, a program you can go to, a priest, a pastor, a synagogue, a mosque, not even this church, that can fix that sinful condition. I can't fix myself. Or as one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? That's the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son. He loves you so much that he would send his only son wherever you're watching from today. Those that are listening to my voice today. Send his own son to fix our sinful condition. I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. If, if we could fix ourselves, think of this for a moment. No one, no one begins to argue that, that Jesus died on the cross. Why would Jesus have to die on a cross if we can get ourselves fixed up and go to heaven? We can't. We, we need Jesus to fix it. it was Jesus dying on the cross 
was him becoming my sin bearer. If I can get myself there by being good, then God would never have to send Jesus. But I needed to be fixed from the inside out. He died the death I was supposed to die, lived the life I couldn't live and gave me a reward that I didn't deserve. And the C word is confess. A, admit. B, believe. And C, confess. Confess him as Lord. This is what changes from religion to relationship. To confess Jesus as Lord, saying, you're in charge of my life, not in charge of Sundays from 10 to 1130. That's religion. Religion says, come to our building. Relationship says, come to Jesus. Christianity is not coming to a place. It's coming to a person. That's what it is. And he's calling you today. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Whether you turn this on in the middle of the week or you're watching live right now, whether you're sitting in this place, whether this is your first time here or your 10th time here, maybe you did crawl in today. Maybe you flew into it, whatever it is. Maybe someone sent you a link to listen to this. I want to ask you the most important question anybody could ever ask you. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Those that are watching online, I'm going to challenge you with the same way. It's the most important question anybody can ask because, it's, because it deals with forever, not just now. It doesn't deal with Sundays. It deals with forever, forever. What happens after you die? I need not only God now, I need God forever. And right now, this is too important a question to look for keys and look for your slip to give to the parking garage. It's too important. So here's the challenge. If you've been born again, start praying. And if you haven't, I want you to listen. Today, your life can change. I want to invite you, if you're sitting here today or watching online, if you say, Pastor Tim, I want to start a journey with God. I want to start a journey with God. Just as the Apostle Paul needed those red letters, John 3.3, those are your red letters today. Those, just as you got Paul, the Apostle Paul got his red letters in 2 Corinthians 12, when the Apostle Paul began to announce the words, my grace is sufficient for you. Your red letters today to start this brand new journey is this, John 3, 5, you must be born again. It's not an option. But today, I'm not inviting you to become a member of a church. I'm not inviting you to be religious. I'm not inviting you to a denomination. I'm inviting you to a relationship with the God of all the universe who loves you. And if you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray a born-again prayer, a prayer that starts a journey with God, a prayer that doesn't get you in church. It gets you in Christ. And if you're here today, I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. We still have some COVID protocols. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, and if you're watching online, I want you to listen. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, and we'll all pray together. We're not going to put you on the spot. But if you're here today, in in about 10 seconds, I'm going to ask you if you want to be prayed. If you said, put me in that prayer. In about 10 seconds, I, I want you to make that decision. And if you say, put me in that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, because I want to see your hand. If you're here today and say, would you, would you include me in that prayer, Pastor Tim, in the balcony, a main floor? 
without any hesitation, say, I want to start a journey with God today. Put me in that prayer, Pastor Tim. Would you just hold your hand up now? Just say, put me in that prayer. Hold it up as high as you can so I can see those prayers. Because I want to, those hands, I want to make sure I see them. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Keep them up. 16, 17, 18. Got you over there. I'm going to see the balcony. 18, I want to see 19 over there. I want to make sure 20. That's fantastic. Thank God. 21 all the way in the back. Got you over there. Those 21 folks. You can put your hands down today. Hey, and if you're watching online, just just type decided on the chat line. Type decided. Because I'm going to ask all of us to pray this together. Come on. Can we say this together out loud? Let's all of us pray this together. Say these words. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, You took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on. Can we thank God for those 21 people that responded? Would you stand to your feet as we get ready? Those that are online, I want you to type that word, decided, decided. So I watch... Just so you know, I watch a screen that keeps adding the numbers up so far. Four, five people have responded online. So they keep responding. We're just going to believe. Listen, sometimes I've left out of here. Now there's six. They keep coming in. Text decided. And we are going to begin. And let me tell you what I want you to do. If you were one of those that responded to that, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You could take your, they just keep changing. I love it. I love it. Seven people responded. So we're about up to almost 30 people that responded to be born again today. And I'm telling you, that number is going to change. Freddie, you give them the final tally. I'll let you give them the final tally, what, what it looks like. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you text the word decided, decided to 51,000? We want to help you on next steps. That's all it is. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.